0: Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien.
1: Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from central Pennsylvania, joined as always by fellow co host who you can see on the screen today. It's our first YouTube experience here. Joined as always by Chris Martin. Chris, what's going
0: on?
1: Hey, hey, you know, it's funny at this point, everybody always tells
0: me I have a voice, I have a face for radio. And unfortunately, <laughs> I can't say that anymore if we're going on YouTube. So, Don, it's so good to be here today. We're doing some firsts with the podcast. I love it. We got a great topic to talk about. Hi everyone, this is Chris Martin. I am I am president of Atlas Marketing and we tell stories for companies that build things. There we go. We're nice. setting it. We're making history today, John. We are history
1: making day here. I'll be sitting back in the rocking chair when I'm old and I'll say, I remember when I was first on YouTube. And <laughs> 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 yeah. But today's awesome. So so Chris tells stories about people that build things or i forget how. i i've heard that saying so many times and i just butchered it i can't believe i butchered it say it again chris so i can lead into our guest we tell stories <laughs> for companies that build things okay got it our guest today has built an amazing career path i'm just uh you know met this met this gentleman did i did i use that okay chris before we proceed here i used that all right kind of easy. Built the career path. It's a perfect set. Keep going, yes. keep going, man. That's great. It's yeah. Great. So, no, I, I met this gentleman uh, probably 20 years ago or so around that time frame. Uh, and when I met him, he he was an attorney. And and during the meeting, he said, you know, I started in the trades, in the building trades. And I'm like, what? You know, I was kind of taken aback, whatever. <laughs> but uh, of course, I'm talking about Joe Joe Bucci. Joe, how's it going?
2: How you doing today? Oh, things are great. I'm I'm in downtown Pittsburgh. We got a little bit of sun today. A lot of cold weather, but uh, that's Pittsburgh for you. And the law firm is Jackson Amen. Kelly, correct? Correct. I'm here with Jackson Kelly in their Pittsburgh office.
1: Awesome. Okay. With their construction
2: practice group.
1: Okay. Awesome. Good to hear. You know, like I said. We we launched this podcast uh, a couple years ago, and and your name has always kind of been up there because we like to talk about career paths and and ways that people got to where they are now, and and it always in the back of my mind it always stuck out to me. And I think I reached out to you a few times during the years on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, we got to get you on. We got to get you on." And the stars must have aligned, and it all worked out <laughs> today. So we finally got you on the podcast. This is well, awesome. it's
2: a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys because. Uh, you know, I do have a unique career path, and I think your your membership and your, your readers will, will enjoy this because uh, I think it applies to all of them.
1: You want to take us back for starters and, and go back to those pre-treat, uh, before you got in the trades, the pre trade Yeah. Things?
2: Well, I mean, uh, I, I started in the trades, I think, about 73, and uh, I was working in the steam fitters union. And uh, I was working basically as they, what they called a fabricator. I wasn't a steam fitter per se, but uh, I was a fabricator who was almost like a laborer. You know, we uh, we worked in pipe mills and manufacturing facilities and we uh, supported the fitters who were doing the welding and we brought the pipe to them, we moved the pipe. You know, we did all the menial tasks. So while I was there, I, I saw what the fitters were doing and I saw that it was a a much better trade, higher quality of work. And uh, eventually I took the test and I was admitted into their apprenticeship program. And at the time, it was a four-year apprenticeship program. You'd work 40 hours a week with a contractor doing the actual work of the trade. And then two nights a week, you'd go to the apprenticeship training program school in the evening and you'd get textbook learning of the HVAC industry. you would uh do some welding, and you know you'd learn all the aspects of the trade from both a hands on and a technical perspective so it was it was great i mean you you got to work with the tools in the daytime and a couple of evenings a week you opened up a textbook or you did some welding in their in their booths, and uh, you know you'd learn the trade from those who were seasoned in it what What kind of led
1: you to this trade? Is it from family or friends or well, no,
2: it was kind of very ironic. I mean, I, I I'm first generation Italian American, born in this country, and my father was a uh, was a union carpenter. My grandfathers were stonemasons, and they all came from a small town in Italy that, you know, developed a lot of craftsmen and uh, and the inhabitants from the town of Gumbarrel in the Abruzzi province of Italy are are all about the Pittsburgh construction industry. I mean, there's a lot of tradesmen who can trace their roots to the Italian community where my father was born. So, I'm, you know, growing up, we always we did all our construction ourselves. You know, I was accustomed to doing cement work, block work, carpentry work, electrical work, plumbing work. I mean, anything that needed done, we did it with our hands. So I kind of grew up with that mentality. But then I went to college because, you know, my father wanted me to go to college. and. And I wanted to go to college, and so away I went to Duquesne University. But after the second year, I found myself married and with child, so I needed a real job immediately. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I went into the construction trades, and you know I got into the steam fitter apprenticeship program, and I was working as a steam fitter during the daytime, and. In the evenings, in addition to going to the apprenticeship training program, I was also taking classes at the University of Pittsburgh to finish my undergraduate degree. So I was on a parallel track, both in the trades and academia at the same time. And uh, I did that. and, And eventually I finished the apprenticeship program with the steam fitters. I became a journeyman and I got my undergraduate degree from the University of Pittsburgh. And at that point, I went from the field into the office end of the business. I went in, I took a position with Mellon Stort Company, who was a very large general construction company headquartered in Pittsburgh, and I learned the trade on the office side. I started to do estimating, project engineering, project management, mechanical, electrical coordinating, contracts, disputes, claims. So, I mean, I was deep into the industry from the the office end and, you know, they had a continuing education program and I went to the president of the company one day and said, hey, I want to continue my education. And he said, that's great. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to law school. And he said, that's even better. (laughs) He said, I have a lot of people with master's degree. I don't need any more. He said, we could certainly use an attorney. So, you know, they sent me to law school at Duquesne University. I went to the evening program, but I had to work for Mellon Storage 60 hours a week, building corporate headquarters and high rises and doing roads and bridges and, you know, the typical construction work. But at the same time, I was studying law and they were grooming me to go from project management into the, the legal end of the company. And handle the legal fear. So it was really great because, you know, I was seeing everything in the industry and then I was seeing how the law
0: applied to it. And it was just a great career path. Joe, with that path that you were on, was it always your ambition to be in construction law? You know, like, because it seems like there's like a verge of multiple career paths just smashing together and going, okay, here we go. And was it just kind of like, hey, this is great? Or was it, I really want to go into law and then do construction law as well? Well, it was kind of nuclear, you know what I
2: mean? (laughs) And the way it came about. But, you know, construction has always been my life. It's been my family's life. You know, it's really in my blood. To this day, I love to work with my hands. And on the weekends or in the evenings, if I'm doing something with my hands, it's basically therapeutic you know, from the stress of the legal community today. I mean, if I can work with my hands, that's really therapeutic for me, but it was kind of, you know, I always wanted to go to law school, but midway through college, you know, I became married and had family. So things were a little difficult. I had to struggle to get back on path, but I continued to move forward, you know, to, to be as productive as I could, in the construction industry, you know, and, and I think learning the industry from the ground on up and working with the tools and working with other craftsmen in the field has been invaluable for me for what I do for my clients. I mean, my clients are basically contractors, subcontractors, owners, developers, maybe occasionally an architect or an engineer, but they value the fact that I live their world. You know, I, I put their boots on every day and I work with the tools. So, you know, I get a little bit more respect from the construction community than a typical attorney will get who just, you know, started doing that work because somebody put a contract on their desk and said, take care of this. I mean, so, I mean, I, but I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I love the industry. I know the industry. I know the people. I can talk to the laborer in the field, to the foreman on the job site, or I can talk to the owner of the company. And I know exactly what to ask them. I know what documents to look at. And I know what the documents mean. So it's made me very effective. And I can I can put myself in their shoes and I can guide them through any problem they may have on any type of a construction project, you know? So it's, uh, it's rewarding and, and enjoyable to me. I mean, I'm, I'm having a great time, <laughs> nice. you know, it's relaxing. fun. I mean, I, I, I basically solve problems. You know, they can call me at any point uh, on a project that's having some troubles and I can figure out exactly where they're at and then I chart a path to get them through. It. So essentially I'm looking for solutions and I'm getting them through trouble projects. Yeah, since we are
1: on YouTube, uh, you know, you can tell that you do like it when you see your expressions yeah. and you're nice and <laughs> relaxed. And yeah, I like the yeah. industry. It shows. It comes across yeah. that way. Before we get too far away from from mm-hmm. Mellon Stewart, because you talked about mm-hmm. them, can mm-hmm. we maybe uh, touch on them a little bit? You know, I don't know, if, especially the the younger listeners, like what a powerhouse mm-hmm. Mellon Stewart was. They were a top 10 contractor in the whole country mm-hmm. and just massive. And and. By you working there, did you work on any of the large marquee projects they, they built? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah.
2: I, the PPG corporate headquarters project oh. in downtown, oh. I started on that from the ground up and I was going to law school at night while I was a project engineer on that site. And then I went and did the Liberty, Develop, Liberty Center development, also from the ground on up, you know, by the convention center area. Yeah. I did Fifth Avenue Place for them, CNG Tower. Awesome. We did bridges. My own Stewart had a group who did roads and bridges, the Cameron Construction Group. So I did roads, bridges, industrial projects. I mean, and, he, and, and of course we had offices in other cities too. So we had offices in Texas, New Jersey, Florida, West Virginia, and you know we we would take care of those projects and those problems as well. And and today, as as you probably well know many of the people who were instrumental in Mellon Stored branched out. And when Mellon Stored closed its doors, there was a host of other construction companies uh, of of great reputation that you all know who came from the Mellon Stored community. So there's a great uh, group of construction professionals who came through the Mellon Stored ranks and have uh,
1: continued to shine. Yeah, I don't think they hold any uh, annual reunions, but if they would, you know, it'd be like a who's who of construction in Pittsburgh. Yeah, That's right.
2: Yeah. No, but it, it was a great place to work. And, yeah, absolutely. you know, it was a great company with good people. Salt
1: well, of Joe, the earth people. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And Joe, you mentioned, you know, your clients and, and they come to you and. I feel the same way, because a lot of our clients don't realize. I mean they think of you know marketing and and people mm-hmm. that don't understand the construction industry. and then when we start talking about it, it changes the conversation. But with that, like what what are some challenges that you're seeing currently, obviously, without giving out a lot of detail because there's legal issues there. But what are some value that you could provide to our listeners as it relates to, coming challenges or, or trends in the industry from an attorney's perspective
2: well the the industry is very dynamic today and it's always changing there's there's always a new host of problems the age-old problem is just getting paid the, the biggest problem in the construction industry today is cash flow turnaround I mean contractors are working 30 sixty days without being paid so you know getting paid is really critical and turning cash around is very critical. And what that takes you to is sometimes at the inception of any project, the terms and conditions of your contract documents. I mean, what are you agreeing to? What does that 30 page contract that you signed really mean? And how do you navigate it? So that's some of the things that are very critical. And you know, and and many times I'm called upon to review contracts on the front end or negotiate them or make some edits so that they're equitable to a certain extent or that the allocation of risks is a little bit more even handed. So, I mean, that's very important. And many times I find that if there's a contract I negotiated on the front end and I made some edits or revisions for my client, when a problem develops, we're in a much better position to recover or to get our our resolution to a claim.
0: And and the other issue
2: is recognizing problems that arise on a project and when a project is starting to go south. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time, uh, the construction community, they know when there's a problem on the project. And the question then is, how do they control that problem? How do they navigate through there? You know, what should they do? What shouldn't they do? How do you resolve disputes without them getting out of control? I mean, from my perspective, you know, one of the things that I do very effectively with my experiences, I find ways to resolve problems. You know, basically, when a client comes to me, they have a problem that's out of control and they need help. They need guidance. And, you know, and that's what I've become very effective in doing is looking for a common sense path of resolution. You know, every problem does not have to end in litigation. If I get to court with my clients, I feel like I've failed. I've got to resolve things before they get to court and in a cost effective manner,
1: because if it lingers on, it
2: just kills you.
1: Yeah this whole uh, mindset about finding resolution and aiming to find the, the resolution has, has it always been with you or did, did your days in the trade assist you at all in, in gaining that knowledge and, and kind of career path and
2: I think it did because you know I can relate to the people and if, if you're an attorney today practicing construction law, you really have to be able to relate to the people you deal with, whether it's your client, the owner of the company, the superintendent, the project manager, or it's the adverse attorney you're dealing with. You, you've got to find a resolution almost like herding cattle. You've you got to bring them you know, into a, a, a path yeah. that will allow for conclusion of the controversy. And I mean, just today, I, I had an issue with the city of Pittsburgh on a matter, and I've had some discussions with their attorneys and you know, when you start strategizing with your fellow attorneys and you offer something that makes sense, you know, many times they'll come along with you because you know they're they're looking for a resolution as well. So once you can start collaborating with the other side and you can show them that your goal is really to reach a resolution as opposed to propagating a controversy, then I think you know, the professionals can work together, and you can make progress. And then ultimately, that benefits your client, mm-hmm. because your client wants a resolution
0: tomorrow. You mentioned, you know, when a project goes south, just a few minutes ago, and I was just curious, do you have any, any tips or best practices for a contractor or subcontractor to, to look out for? Like, what are the red flags that are going, okay, this is now starting to take this project in the wrong direction? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, it, it, it can happen at any point in a project, but usually if, if you're a contractor and you're on top of your jobs, you know when things are going south. If the schedule isn't being met, if the float is being consumed, if the activities are being resequenced, if your durations are being shortened, if one sub or one prime isn't performing, and the owner or the construction manager is tolerating that lack of performance, if there's no direction, if the architect or the engineer isn't involved, if there's design issues, but no one's solving them, and these design issues impact the construction community, you know, you got a problem and you need help. So it's, So it's it's recognizing those issues when they develop, and then having a team to address them and find a path of resolution. What I do for a lot of my clients is I actually become part of their management team. I mean, they view me, I tell some of my clients, I'm just another tool in your gang box. You know, when you need that 20 pound sledgehammer, you don't like to use it, but guess what? It's in every gang box, you know? (laughs) So you just go open the gang box, you take out that sledgehammer and you call me. (laughs) And when you're done, yeah. You put it away or, or it's like the 24-inch pipe wrench you don't want to use too
0: often. Joe, I got to hand it to you because we've had attorneys on previously and mm-hmm. kind of asked that same type of question. And you are the first person to actually give a very, very direct, definitive answer. So thank you because that's yeah, been yeah. really, really helpful mm-hmm. so that listeners can go, OK, now I can start to see where things are. So thank you. That well, was a yeah, yeah. great, great response. Yeah, well, thank you. It. I mean, I I like what I'm doing, you know, I mean, I enjoy my work
2: and I have good clients, I have good customers and, you know, I generally want to help them. I mean, they need help, you know, because contractors today are bidding tight. You know, you're bidding these projects tight and you don't have any room for, for something you didn't anticipate or a cost that's not in your estimate. You know, those, you know, the money isn't there. You know, and the time isn't there. You know, we're on, we're on tight budgets. You know, owners want their projects returned and finished on time. Hey, you know, the, the sad thing is most of the time contractors have to find the problem in the job and then they have to come up with a solution. They have to execute the solution and then they have to try to get paid for solving and executing the solution to a problem that wasn't even theirs.
1: And the whole time, the sledgehammer's no. sitting right there. The, the sledgehammer's ready that's to it. get used. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> he,
0: he just got a new uh, nickname. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> I can see the, the commercial now. Joe Bucci, the sledgehammer. just yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going
0: to keep your number handy. There's a few times yeah, you're yeah, yeah. you
1: know? going
2: <laughs> Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, there, there's a lot of attorneys who think they got to pound their fist on the table and, and make a great Impression or just turn things upside down, but you really don't get anywhere if you if you practice law that way. And all you do is cause your clients more money. You you propagate the problem and you close off the paths of resolution. You know, and you cannot close off a path of resolution. That's like throttling down, you know, a gate valve when you should have it fully open and letting the 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 flow go through it. Well, I like uh, how
1: the gained wisdom from the steam fitters is coming through in this conversation and I, I love yeah. it. And uh, but speaking of the steam fitters, have you been to the new headquarters that they or the oh, new yeah. Jackson? It's,
2: it's very nice. Very it's nice. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Well you know the, yeah. the great thing
1: about the Steam
2: Fitters Union is, you know, a lot of people don't understand what steam fitters do. But you know the the work, the scope of work of steam fitters is very diverse. And there's a great you know, range of activities that steam fitters perform today. So it's a great trade because, you know, if you like to weld, you can weld. If you like to be on big projects, you can be on big projects. But you can also do temperature control. You can do service work. You can do automation. The range of activities and skill sets
0: for that trade is very significant. And for those listening, if you'd like to hear more, the steam fitters we have a couple episodes in our archive on buildingpa podcast.com you can check it out uh, i know that we spoke with the former bst kenny broadbent and a couple other folks uh, we actually had an apprentice on and talking about what he does on a daily basis and why he chose to be a steam fitter much like joe just shared with us but you know joe i, I have to i have to say thank you so much for joining us today we are coming to the end of our time knowing that you're you're a busy guy you're the attorney yeah. for you know, with a sledgehammer coming in.
2: (laughs) This was a lot of fun and it was great. And, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to just to sit down and chat with you guys.
1: Absolutely. Let's do it again. It's always good to talk to
2: construction people, you know. Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) I just said that the other day. I was walking around the Capitol in Harrisburg and I'm like, I like the elected officials that have construction in their background. They're they're better to talk with, you know. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for your time. This was awesome. Thank
2: you. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. I enjoyed it and we'll talk again.
0: Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.